Texas talking. Oh, what was that that you said? Texas talking. Ah, gonna hoop upside your head. Texas talking. Tell me who can you trust when Texas guys are in Texas guys love. Texas talking. This is Jacob Plamone from the Bernie Sanders campaign here with the weekly Tripcast. And now, bringing a whole new meaning to feeling the burn, here's your host, Ross Ramsey. Thank you. This is Ross Ramsey here with the Tripcast for the third week of February. I'm joined by Editor-in-Chief and CEO Evan Smith. I, I'm probably more feeling the Trump than feeling the burn at the moment, just because feeling the Trump is good for business. That sounds like it would hurt. Uh, reporter <laughs> Terry Langford is here. Hi. Are you feeling the the Ted? I... <laughs> You're unfeeling. I'm unfeeling. Wow, this has gone. This is already off the tracks. And um, live from Washington D.C., Abby Livingston, or from Fort Worth, Texas. We call it Funky Town. Or um, from or from she's <laughs> here. She's here, but she's not from here. And you're feeling the. I'm ben feeling, Carson, you're feeling the Ben? I'm feeling the warmth because I've been in really cold places, and now I'm in Texas, and I'm really happy. It's not New Hampshire. Let's <laughs> talk about the really cold places you've been. Where all of you? Uh, Where have your travels taken you? I have been to New Hampshire for the primary a couple weeks ago, and it was um, at times eight degrees. Um, I was in Washington, D.C., where I live, and there it was like 20 degrees. And South Carolina was surprisingly cold when I was uh, at the debate and following around Senator Cruz, and there it was 20 degrees. So it's very warm here. Is that why they're voting Sorry. like this? Because they're cold. <laughs> I, 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 yes. The, I, I am a, I am a Texas girl, and it's, it's been a, it's been a rough few weeks. So, so we're, uh, we're a couple of days away. We're taping this on uh, Wednesday morning. We're a couple of days away from South Carolina. Any, what's the feel there? I mean, Trump is way out front, and uh, you know, this is a state that sh Cruz should do well. It's very evangelical. Um, I've been keeping track of his travels, and uh, I think it's still accurate. He has been to Greenville, South Carolina, for public events more than any other city except Des Moines, and so it's uh, we're, that's not factoring in trips to New York for fundraising and things like that. But um, he has bet heavily on this state, much more so than New Hampshire, and so he should do well. But Trump is just stealing thunder from the, everyone. The CNN poll that came out yesterday of South Carolina, which was post-debate. This was Tuesday, the, the, right? the debate in which Donald Trump slagged George W. Bush as being responsible for 9-11, and so he was theoretically going to collapse in the polls, as every time he says something, he's always going to collapse in the polls. He never does. The first post-debate poll that CNN had had Trump at 36, had Cruz at 24, and had Rubio at 12. So Trump equaled Cruz plus Rubio or Rubio plus Bush plus Kasich plus Carson was less than Trump. Trump is way ahead. What's going on? And for this to happen, I mean, look, it's Wednesday. Yeah. The Republicans are on Saturday. Then they go to Nevada for on the 23rd. And I believe the Democrats actually don't vote in South Carolina for another week. 27th. They, right. spl they split. Right. Um, something cataclysmic would have to happen between now and Saturday for that Donald Trump lead to, to fall to the point that anybody else can win South Carolina, or we have to believe that the polls are skewed, right? So spin the second place for Cruz, somebody. Well, provided it is Cruz in second place, because there are other polls that have Cruz and Rubio much more closely Okay, let's, let's talk about that. But Cruz in second, what does that mean? Cruz in third, what does that mean? I think it's... Second is a win in, in this context that he can beat the others, but it's, I mean, this this lead is so staggering for Trump, but I think if I was Ted Cruz, I'd turn around and say, onto the SEC states, March 1st primaries, and then um, right. you come to Texas, and the thing that 
I feel like most of my colleagues in the press corps don't recognize is how many delegates are in Texas. And it's it's really not something you register until you look at it compared to the others, and it's right, hundreds right. more. And so then Cruz turns to Texas and runs up the delegates. And you know, right. but we assume that Cruz, we assume that Cruz wins Texas until any evidence to the contrary is presented to us. But if Trump wins South Carolina and Trump right. wins Nevada. And both of those are not only possible, but probably likely based on the polls that we've seen. You know, that's an awful lot of, of, of momentum behind him. And he heads into the South where in admittedly a lot of the states that are voting on March 1st haven't polled in a while. But Trump is firmly in the lead in a lot of those states. He's not in the lead in Texas. Well, I expect to see, you know, I know of two polls that are going to be out before the Texas primary on March 1st. Texans are already voting as we as we record as we this. So two polls will be out. One of them is ours. Our poll in October, which was a different, you know, it feels like a different century. But, Universe, uh, right. Pleistine age. Cruz, Cruz and Trump were tied in Texas in October, 27 up. Um, you I'd, know, be, I'd Cruz, be shocked if, if, Cruz, if Cruz is not way ahead in Texas heading into to March 1st. I'd be shocked. Well, and, right. and it's also what's key is Texas is proportional. Many of the delegates are awarded right. by congressional district. And so this is not up-to-date information, but when I talked to consultants in January who were testing out local races, legislative races, congressional races, they'd throw the presidential on the ballot, and Cruz was generally in the lead, followed by Trump with a sharp drop-off of Rubio. Now, that was a lifetime ago in politics. But the point is that Trump would win delegates in Texas. Right. Trump would win some. South Carolina is winner-take-all, Right. And it's 50 delegates. I believe Trump, if Trump wins, I believe Trump would win everything in South Carolina if he won. And so it's, I think if, if Cruz does not somehow up end Trump uh, in South Carolina, I think it becomes a delegate. His, his argument is I have the infrastructure and I'm going to run these delegates in Alabama or whatever. And I don't know how he will perform in Alabama versus Trump. How, how do you Trump. win an evangelical state running around talking about two Corinthians? I, I, the Trump thing there, because not, this because is like nothing, the continuing bafflement of because Trump. Because nothing get conventional that we've seen previously applies in this race, because everything that's happened up to this point is outside the realm of anything we've ever seen before. I, I also I had a different takeaway when I watched the Trump Jeb Bush exchange. I'd never seen anyone confront the Bush, anyone in the Bush family for the Iraq war face to face in that level. And I was so struck by it. And everyone else seemed to think that Jeb came away the winner. And I've just there's a lot of anger in the Republican Party about the Iraq war and right. the Bush administration in general, just that we wouldn't have Obama if not for this. And, and, the, so, and the argument, honestly, the argument that Democrats have made over time that this notion that Bush kept us safe, 9-11 happened while Bush was president, is effectively the argument Trump is making. Trump is making what has right. been a Democratic attack argument against Bush. It also happens to be factually true that George Bush was president on 9-11. I don't need Gardner Selby to politifact that right. statement. Right. That statement is factually true. You could argue that the predicate for 9-11 actually extends back to Bill Clinton not doing anything about bin Laden, which is what Republicans have pushed back against. And in fact, arguably, uh, the, what came out of that debate uh, in South Carolina was did. that both Bill Clinton uh, and George W. Bush own a piece of what happened for by virtue of them not doing what was necessary in advance, assuming anybody could have done. But what Donald Trump said, while politically incorrect and while rude to Bush family members to their face, say something that your mama would have told you not to do. Right. From a factual standpoint, it's hard to, to argue that with, the, with the, the, the simple fact that George Bush was president on 9-11. Right. I mean, so it, it, was, it was sort of stunning to see. Abby's exactly right, because you don't actually see Republicans make that argument. 
And and it and it I can imagine that there were some Republican. I mean, this is all about anger on both sides of the aisle, right. and this is and John, Donald Trump is channeling it better than anyone. Now, what's happened since the debate, uh, as we sit here a couple of days ago, was that George W. Bush resurfaced on the political campaign trail on behalf of his brother in South Carolina, and right. I could not resist. I sat in my car. I was driving uh, somewhere when this was happening, and I was I had it on the radio, and I got to where I needed to to go before he was done and I sat in the car and listened because you know if you spend time as you and I did and as Terry did maybe less as Abby did uh, uh, kind of as a sort of somebody who cared about politics a political junkie when George Bush was in power not only as president but as governor you heard that voice on a regular basis it had been a long time since I'd heard that voice on a regular basis and it's a distinct voice it rang a bell didn't it, it? rang a bell and it yes. was kind of I had had a nostalgia uh, washing over me for for that you know when Bush was in uh, a, a place where you hear his voice all the time it was interesting to hear him it was weirdly like companionable like hearing his voice it was like oh it's Garrison Keillor. Bush. Um, and, you know, and, and I think that Bush is probably still very personally popular in South Carolina. I think that uh, the argument he made on behalf of Jeb was a, a, a really good argument. You know, Jeb was fired up by the presence of George on the campaign trail. I just don't know that it makes any difference. I, it, the polls I don't are know not, that it makes any difference. The polls are not showing that. I, I had Jeb a, is in fourth in many of these polls. Right. And at some point, the donors are going to pull the plug on him. And I think he got right. a, a delay after New Hampshire because of Rubio stumbles. But I still think it's an open question whether he's around for Florida. So who's still around when we get to March 1st? Just wild guess. You know, obviously Cruz and Trump. Rubio. I, Rubio will be around. Although, you know, the interesting thing is Rubio has now finished third in Iowa and fourth. Was he fourth in New Hampshire or fifth? I think fourth. Fourth. He was he was, he was a half ahead, point of, ahead of, was was a ahead point of ahead Bush. Bush. Right. So he's finished third and fourth. He will finish in probably no better than probably no better than third in South Carolina. Right. In what sport Formula do you One finish racing. third, fourth, yeah. and third, and everybody goes a ticket to the next Formula One racing because that's where the money is, and they don't want to give money to Trump and Cruz. What is this about? This is about. Anxiety. What that tells me is if there's still a, a, a theoretical case or a financial case for Rubio coming out of a third, fourth, and third place uh, a beginning to this race, it tells me that there is enough anxiety about both Trump and Cruz that the establishment, in quotes, big fluffy air quotes, that the establishment is still freaked out about the possibility of one or the other as a nominee and really wants want to, an alternative. Do you really want to be the candidate of the whiny Republican establishment? I mean, you know, they're sort of like, oh, we can't do this. We have to have something better. And they've sort of whined all the way through this season. I like that voice. Do that again. <laughs> oh, it'll come back around. So, so let me let me say one or two more words about this, if you wouldn't mind, please. So March 1st is Texas. Wait, that you is, got a choice? Yes, you have no choice. March 1st is Texas, which is less than two weeks from today as we sit here. I'm reminded of the old saw that you make your first record, it takes you 18 months to make your first record, and it takes you six weeks to make your second. They spent all this time in Iowa, all this time in New Hampshire, all this predicate, predicate, predicate. Now they're in South Carolina, they're going to be in Nevada. The, the, the whole Texas primary process is going to be so incredibly condensed. The candidates are going to spend hardly any time here. They're going to do hardly any campaigning here. This is not going to be a case where we're going to get the full Grassley 
as we did in Iowa, where Cruz went to all 99 counties. No one's going to all 254 that counties. That sounds worse than feeling the Trump, actually. Or, yeah, it does, yeah. actually, right? The full I, I was stunned with that that dynamic, specifically with the Clintons, because they claim such an affinity for the state, and it looks like they hardly spend any time here. I, I've got one day for uh, Hillary Clinton and one day for Bill in the state, and it's just, it's you know, and this is a state that they need desperately. And so I was really, and, and eight years ago, Bill Clinton so, set so, up Kansas, Texas. They've got a lot of organizing going on without those two here. They've got a lot, they're opening offices, opening a bunch they're of popping offices stuff up, they've got their surrogates, here's Gary Morrow over here, and you know, look, all of the, this At kind the of end stuff. of the day, a, a compressed process like this is to the benefit of people who already have high name ID and who are well known. Who are those two people? Clinton. Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton. Right. Ted Cruz and Hillary Clinton go into this primary with an advantage, if for no other reason that the process is so condensed. Bernie Sanders can't spend two weeks or even a week barnstorming the state of Texas attempting to cut into her lead. Trump and anybody else can't really do the kind of infrastructure work in Texas in a compressed process that's going to get their name IDs up to the place where, uh, where Cruz's is. They just can't. So I, I'm prepared to say right now that unless some bomb drops, Cruz and Hillary win Texas because they go into it with such a significant advantage in a compressed process. And back to Abby's point, because it's a proportional delegate state, second place matters, and and and, and yeah. the placement matters. How how you do in each congressional district, you know, in each of your many, you know, thirty six mini presidential races in Texas is going to matter. Well, and I will just say one thing about the the Democratic race. I've been watching to see what Bernie's appeal is beyond Austin. And um, I I haven't seen much evidence of it, but I was in South Texas yesterday, and it was apparent to me through some conversations that UT Rio Grande Valley students are feeling the burn. And so it's going to be fascinating. I mean, that this South Texas is Hillary land. And so how this, if, if this is manifesting elsewhere and if these kids show up to vote. Watch out for those light blue T-shirts. So... Uh, let's talk about something else that has spun into the presidential race, the death last week in Marfa of <laughs> Antonin Scalia. No, Marfa, 28 miles well, southwest right. of Out, Marfa. Outside of Marfa. Yeah, Schachter. I'm, I'm used to this. From West Texas, you just sort of say, you know, I'm going to name the place, and I'm just going to name something within 50 miles of the actual place. So Marfa is the place within 50 miles, but, yeah, the Cibolo Creek Ranch. Right. Um, yes, uh, it has kind of spun out of control uh, as far as the conspiracy theories. It's gone nuts, hasn't it? <laughs> a little bit. So you have the you have the postmortem, so to speak, on kind of the process. Oh, <laughs> hey, you wrote the story. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, yes, um, lots of a lot has been made about how how he was verified as a dead person basically. And in Texas, you've got justices of the peace who have the role of coroner. And coroner, I think for most people, uh, denotes some sort of medical degree. And really, a coroner system is just someone who documents whether someone is dead or not, and whether or not foul play was involved. And it's, that's how it works in Texas. It's not a CSI episode every time no, somebody dies. No. No. Right. So, uh, so what happened here was normal course of events? For Texas and for a lot of states. Um, there are a couple of dozen states that use a coroner system where you are elected or appointed. Um, there's been much made. Uh, ProPublica did a, a fantastic series with Frontline and NPR in 2011 that showed the problems of this sort of patchwork way of declaring death. There's no accountability, that, right. et cetera, et cetera. And what happened here is a 
lot of people were first upset because it's such a high-ranking uh, official that an autopsy was automatically done. Most people don't get autopsies. That's the reality. Um, the family in this case didn't want an autopsy, and apparently after a conversation, the two justices of the peace in Presidio County were out of pocket, so it went to the county judge, who is a former JP for many years. Probably 25 years, right? 25 years. Right. Uh, Cinderella Guevara. Um, she stepped in. The other part Can of the... Can say how great is it that that's her name? I, it's awesome. The first time I heard she Cinderella Guevara, I was just... Uh, the, the first time I heard that, I was just like, you're making this up. No. No, it's great. No, it's fantastic. Um, so anyway, but... The other part of the, the, the fuel for the conspiracies is the fact that she did it over the phone. Um, the rules and the laws for declaring or verifying someone dead, um, I've been told many times no one's pronounced dead, so I'm stepping away from that. Right. It's not, a, it's not you know, time of death, 111, right? <laughs> no. What you do as a justice of the peace, from, from my understanding, is you um, talk to people, um, find out if there's any kind of medical concerns when you verify a, a dead person. And she did that. Right. She Was talked he or she to sick? A, what, right. Yeah. Were they sick? Were they under the care? The over the phone, while not um, the best thing to do, is allowed. So... As far as we can see, there was nothing that was illegal or improper the way it was done. It just, for a lot of people, it was unseemly. And yet Alex Jones is <laughs> left to thunder and, and, and you know. And here I thought we were going to get through the whole thing without. Without mentioning Alex Jones. Yeah, yeah what do you mean? And shake his yeah. fist, you know. And part of the problem here, let's acknowledge, was the, was the precise so wording. John Poindexter, the owner of Cibolo Creek Ranch, in giving an interview to at least John McCormick of the Express News, but possibly to other reporters, referred to Justice Scalia being found with a pillow, pillow over, over his, his head, head, which makes it sound like he was smothered. <laughs> but in fact, what he meant was that he was on the bed and the pillow was essentially above, above, above his, head. his head. But the problem is you can't unhear that, right? Right. <laughs> the minute I read pillow over his head, I thought, uh-oh, here we go, get out your tinfoil. Right? And you it, knew it. There's a lot of tinfoil And, and candidly, right a, legis a state legislator wrote to me after uh, Scalia's death was a confirmed. A state legislator with tinfoil. How about that? Well, I'm not saying the state legislator has tinfoil. I'm simply saying that the state legislator wrote and said, why do I wonder whether there's foul play here? Uh, he's found dead in West Texas, and the abortion case coming out of Texas is going to be heard in a couple weeks. Tell me that there shouldn't be at least a question of whether there's something funny going on here. That, to my mind, is emblematic of the chain of events that happens when you have an unexpected death in a remote location. They choose not to do an autopsy. The owner of the ranch says he's found with a pillow over his head. I mean, you can understand where. And you introduced that in a society that was raised on television stories. Also, I think, <laughs> I think it's really fascinating how these narratives are crafted in these sort of information vacuums. And it really is when something happens in a remote area, yeah, right. we fill in the void. And well, the fact the, that the, the distrust like, of, yeah. of ruralness, I think that's whatever. tabula rancha. Is that what it is, actually? Yes. Just, you know, projecting onto a blank screen. And, and it's been fascinating to watch, but, uh, you know. So have you been out there? I have been out there Cibolo? many times. I have. I've been past Cibolo. I, you know, that's not my pay range. You're a civilian? <laughs> it's five or $600 a night in a room. No. Okay, so I'll tell you a very but, fast But story. I've been all over the Big Ben, yeah. I have been one time, and here's why. We, uh, Julia and I... Uh, our first child was born in January of 2000, and we were going to take a trip in the fall of 01 without her. 
and we were going to go out of the country on a little vacation without our, our daughter. And then 9-11 happened. This was going to happen in November. It was going to be in November of 01. And in fact, I remember specifically, it was the weekend of the Texas Book Festival. It was the one Texas Book Festival weekend in those early years that we missed. We're going to be gone that weekend. We're going to go out of the country. And then 9-11 happened. And all of a sudden, we, like a lot of other people, the world was very uncertain at that point, had some anxiety about getting on a plane and crossing an ocean and leaving our infant child here with her grandmother. We just thought, eh, I would rather stay in this country. Well, we spent all this money that we were going to, on the vacation, we're going to get it back. What are we going to do with it? Well, let's just splurge. Let's go out to West Texas and let's go stay at Cibolo Creek for a couple days. So we actually went out there and, and did. It's a very remote, it's exactly as described. It's down the road between Marfa and Presidio. It's in Schachter, which is a ghost town, basically. Right. It's a beautiful ranch. It's There's sort of not really much to do except to sort of chill out and, you know. Right. Sunsets, whiskey, cigars, and I swimming, right? I don't chill out. Quail hunting, too, I hear. I'm not, the, hunting, I'm right. not the chill out type. Right. Really? So the idea that I'm, I'm kind of going, going out there and it's like like a heroin addict. Where's the Starbucks? Where's you the Starbucks? Yeah, I was going to say, do they have Starbucks there? Oh, my God. N- no. Um, <laughs> and so we, I, I so, only what I'll once, say is right? I soldiered on. Uh, price, I would think the coffee's pretty good out there. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> You know, I happen to like it out in Marfa Alpine, Fort Davis, Presidio, Marathon, all those places. It it's great out there. This was a little bit too too for me, but it's an amazing place. Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's gorgeous. Yeah. And that Big John dance. Poindexter is a really interesting guy, kind of mysterious. And, you know, there's so many elements to this that just contributed to the sense afterwards that maybe we're not being told the whole story. It's just, it couldn't have lined up better for somebody it's who just, wanted a conspiracy theory to be. It's just if you can't know answer. everything, you've, you know, you, this desire to fill in the blank, Tabula Ranch is pretty good. Oh, and know? this whole bias against Texas to begin with. And just, West Texas in particular. In particular I, exactly. I, you know, I, got a, I got a chip on my shoulder about this. So Specifically? I'm taking it. Um, so speaking of weird things with law enforcement in West Texas, let's talk about border sheriffs for a minute. <laughs> Okay. So, so there's a switch. Well, yeah, I, you know, it, that's what we got for a transition. Um, I'm curious about this project you did, um, putting, you know, that the stats for this thing basically just weren't available. Walk us through this. Um, basically, Morgan Smith and I started the question last year, um, especially when we saw the sort of no pun intended here standoff between Governor Abbott and the Dallas County Sheriff um, for over sanctuary cities, over sanctuary right. cities, or whether Dallas is a sanctuary city, um, and new interpretation of the law, it begged the question: How do undocumented immigrants? How what do we know about them in the criminal justice system? What do we know about how many are arrested? And how do they get through the jails? And how is that handoff? What does that look like? That handoff between the jails and ICE. So that's how it started. And so we, all that head banging you hear in that corner, that was Morgan and I trying to get people to tell us things. It, mm-hmm. This was one of the hardest things I've ever put together, I think. They didn't have the stats readily available. There's very, no. I mean, this is where we're sending, I mean, you know, the state sent $800 million into quote-unquote border security, which sort of involves this. I know it's not exactly. Why $25 million didn't go you know, to better computer systems for all the jails? The, the I don't feds know. have spent, you know, a bazillion simoleons, I think is the official number on, on this. Um, I, it's just, it's fascinating that there's no measure of what they're doing. There's not a real measure as far as... Uh, undocumented immigrants who are in the criminal justice system. What we can find is that it is so low. I mean, the U.S. citizens, of course, 
because there are so many <laughs> more of us right. commit more crimes are arrested more often the problem is is the state is not the state tries to to say that we're not saying that they commit more crimes but they are adding to a criminal um, picture here in Texas. But the problem is, is that no one's got a real good handle of where they are. If they go back um, across the border and come back in, there's no record keeping. This is my favorite thing about that. But Terry provides many strains of conversation on any topic. But the one that is consistent is we don't have adequate data. People are not providing the information. That's Benchmarking. All I, this was oh. the conversation we had about DPS last week. Right. right. Where is the data? Give us the data. The data exists. You know it exists. We know it exists. But are you really counting to, to begin with? I mean, when you start painting pictures of this is a problem, the first thing that I'm going to ask for, and a lot of us here are going to ask for, is yeah. What's your benchmarking? How do you know this is a problem? How do you know you've improved on this problem? And it's kind of disastrous on this issue. Well, it's weird. It's a funny way to follow policy. Somebody told me you know, the, the, the sing-songy phrase for this is measure what you treasure. You know, you, you keep data on the things that you really, really want to track that are really, really important to right. you. Look at all the data in public education. And, and what's interesting about a lot of these law enforcement stories they're not alone in this, but what's interesting in a lot of these law enforcement stories in particular is how in the world do you know what you're doing right. and, and what is it, how are you going to measure whether you're making any headway if you're not measuring anything? My, uh, my, my pal Trey Brundret, who is actually on the Tribune board, is the chief product officer for Vox Media. So the SB Nation, the Verge, and, and all those things. Uh, I tattoo this on my arm. The plural of anecdote is not data. You know, <laughs> in a lot of these instances, what you're getting is an anecdote strung together with another anecdote strung together with another anecdote, and that is said to be the rationale for this policy decision. Well, so the political it's hook in data. this is, is this Houston officer who was killed. This was an issue in the last governor's race. It's been an issue. You know, it, it should be an issue. It was a big deal. A, a guy who'd been deported, help me here, several times. Four times? I believe it was four. So he gets arrested in the U.S. They figure out that he's a Mexican national. They deport him. He comes back. He gets arrested in the U.S. They figure out that he's it, it sort of worked, you know, four times, sort of, except that he keeps coming back into the country. And he eventually uh, killed a Houston police officer. The other story that's a big one in the federal race, in the presidential race that keeps coming up, is the young lady who was killed in San Francisco uh, by someone who'd been deported. These are anecdotes. I mean, they're horrible Stanley stories, Pierce. and they're examples of the kind of thing you're trying to stop. And yet we're not measuring the thing that we're trying to stop. Well, and— even when we do, it's deceptive. Like ICE will tell you, um, that's Immigration and Customs Enforcement, will tell you in their data, they have this report on how many people, how many criminals, okay, they are responsible for deporting, okay? And that's undocumented immigrants who have been arrested, convicted, and that's the way the, the, the feds count it. Um, and, and that's a thing right there. The feds count it if you're convicted. The state of Texas DPS counts it if you're charged. We can't even agree on the parameters here, and that's a problem. But the other thing that, that's really interesting to me is, like, ICE will report, we did all this. We deported this many people. You deported them because they were arrested by states. Don't misunderstand right. anything. You're not walking a beat and rounding them up. You are with a few targeted right. investigations. But you're not picking them up for crimes. It's the, the locals that are doing that. And that's where the pressure comes in. So is it your sense that they're purposefully having this confusing situation, or is it incompetence? 
Someone, <laughs> a, a wise person once told me, there was an Langford, <laughs> you give government too much credit if you think we're creating this, you know, right. this conspiracy. Right. Well, that, so, we're, that, we're smart, that we're smart enough to do to that. To do that, right. And well, so I've, I take that to heart. I, I think more, I lean more to the incompetence. So if I'm in a policymaking role, either in the state or the federal government, um, what am I looking at in terms of, okay, how did my money get spent? What did I get for it? I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in the Texas legislature, and I just spent in the last legislative session in 2015 $800 million on border security on this kind of stuff. Or I'm in Congress, and I spent, you know, a bazillion simoleons on ICE and all of this other stuff, you know, starting with 9-11 and folding up all of these agencies. How do I measure the effectiveness of that money? I think that it's got to get even more basic than that. I think we need to really – what Morgan and I saw just in the booking records that we could get and it's very few people responded to our request on this. They claim privacy issue on the part of immigrants, and that's a whole different thing um, that I, it takes too long to get into. But the thing is, is that there's not even a consistency in the record keeping. I would have spent, of that 800 million, I would have spent something that streamlines the process that we at least have some good data to begin with on who's in our jails. Can I give a polling update? Before we move on? Apparently. I'm going to. Uh, public policy polling just released polling in all the Super Tuesday states. Not my favorite pollster, Texas. but go ahead. Ditto. Yeah, up, your, up yours, guys. <laughs> it's a poll. It's not Rasmussen. I mean, it's a poll. Uh, Hillary is 23 points ahead of Bernie in Texas, 57-34, and is ahead in 10 of the 12 Super Tuesday states. Um, the Nevada poll that just came out, I want to see if I can find this, and then I want to read you the There was great... no Republican number on Texas? Not yet. Uh, okay. They just released all the Democratic numbers. The right. Nevada numbers had Trump way ahead. Uh, Trump, 45. Rubio, 19. Cruz, 17. Uh, and has Clinton and Sanders at 48-47 in Nevada, says CNN. Leading Donald Trump, Jeb Bush is at 1% in the Nevada poll. And here is the, um, wow. Wow. the maturity and the statesmanship of Donald Trump. Uh, who just tweeted following the release of those numbers. I wish we still had newsreels so we could go to the movies and watch Donald right. Trump newsreels every Jeb week. Jeb Bush just got contact lenses and got rid of his glasses. He wants to look cool, but it's far too late, 1% in Nevada. So Jeb Bush went away from glasses. Wow. Rick Perry went two glasses. We can have a, you know, just a straight up Do we have time for Abby to give us her uh, about Ruben Hinojosa's race in, in South Texas? She was down at the... Can you do it in one minute? CD, CD 15? I can go fast. Is that right? Okay, here's yeah, the 60-second version of... Uh, so this is a district that starts on the Mexican border, McAllen, and goes up to Seguin. It's very narrow and snakes up, but the population center is down by the border. Um, and there, uh, it's a crowded field. It's probably a safe Democratic seat. There are, um, I believe, six Democratic candidates in the race. Three have formidable strengths. Uh, Dolly Elizondo is a former county chair. She has Emily's List, which is a fundraising juggernaut behind her. Uh, you have a gentleman named Juan Sonny Palacios, who is a local attorney who comes from a very well-known uh, political family. And you have Vicente Gonzalez, who is a self-funding. And so far, we're he has put in three quarters of a million dollars, but I bet a lot more since that final deadline. So it's anyone's guess which two will make the runoff after March 1st. Almost no chance of no runoff. 
I don't see how that happens with so many candidates, but never say never. Rare for us to have an open congressional race in Texas. And in fact, this weekend, Abby reported on another one, which is Randy Neugebauer's seat up in uh, Lubbock. Right. He's retiring. Well, Lubbock and, or Abilene, thank you. <laughs> well, and there are eight candidates in that race. And again, no chance there won't be a runoff, right? I, I don't see how that happens. I've never seen um, anyone avoid a runoff with this big of a field in other races. Um, and that one's interesting because if Lubbock loses its congressman, uh, they could really suffer uh, in redistricting in 2021. It's kind of framed as an Abilene versus Lubbock race. I'll just say I that got a lot of Twitter anger about that. But you know, Lubbock's twice as big as Abilene, so Abilene's punching up. We'll see how it, see how it goes over Not, there. It w- wouldn't be the first time that's happened. Exactly. Right. Trip Fest number six is on the books. It is uh, September 23rd through 25th. The register for tickets on Evan's favorite date 4:20. Uh, you can get more information at texastribune.org slash festival. Oak Willie's is going to have a ticket uh, counter for us on that day. Keep on trucking. Yeah. Um, Bruce's birthday, Springsteen. If, if you have questions no, it's not, or it's comments, not, see it's, how it's not Bruce's birthday. The 23rd? Well, the 20th. No, it's on, it's on 420. Oh, okay. 420. No, no, no. It oh. is, I, I'm saying I, I, that happens to be my birthday. 420, and I know that you I share kids, my I share my birthday back. with Hitler and Jessica Lang. <laughs> Don't you make Bruce me pull this car over? If also, you have also questions Crispin or Glover. comments about the Tripcast, email them to Tripcast at TexasTribune.org. Review us on iTunes. I hear it helps our numbers. It makes us all smile. You can also sign up for Tripcast alerts at TexasTribune.org/tripcast. We'd like to thank Shiny Ribs for doing our music on behalf of Evan, Terry, Abby, and our producer Todd. This is Ross. Thanks for listening. Texas talking. 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 Texas tal